You're listening to WCOM LP 103.5 FM Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Face, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith Radio. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney. And it's been a hell of a week. I think it's been a hell of a week. It's just been a hell of a week. Not for me. Well, it has also been a hell of a week for me. But on top of it, just... Uh, being a human living in America right now, it, it's, it's been, it's been a tough week. We've, we've had shootings at a synagogue in Pittsburgh. We've had shootings of African-Americans in Louisville. We've had people sending bombs in the mail. And sadly, this has become the new normal that we live in. We're used to these things happening again and again and again. Like the fact that I I feel like that, that our outrage has kind of gotten worn out over time because it's, it's kind of like those internal monitors, those are your internal barometers that go through and tell you that this is terrible. Ah, we're back now to normalcy our barometers are just broken because we're constantly living in a cycle of crazy begets crazy begets crazy begets crazy. And if you're a first time listener to this show, (laughs) yes, this is a show called snarky faith and welcome, welcome um, to be here on the show. But I will tell you (laughs) if you're looking for what a normal snarky faith week is like, this is not it, and this is not going to be your atypical Snarky Face show. I have no idea how long this is going to go, um, so bear with me today. But uh, what it really felt like is I was like prepping and planning for the show. I had different ideas for it, and I really just came down to the fact that I really, really think that we need to have a family talk, kind of a snarky family talk about the state of the world, the state of things in America, and how we're all living in these insane heightened times because the easy answer for having all of these horrific tragedies happen the easy answer is is to go straight to to outrage to go straight into how befuddled and and essentially decided a lack for words with this people, Americans going into a synagogue to go and worship. Some of them didn't come home. People in Louisville going to a grocery store that got shot just because they are black in America. This is the times that we live in. So if you're new to the show 
and you're interested in all what we're doing here, <laughs> I'd recommend you going to www.snarkyvate.com and checking out our past episodes. Because this one may be a bit of a weird one. It may be a little different because when it comes to family chats, stuff may get a little real. Um, but I think when we live in crazy times and I think that when up is down and down is up and things don't always make sense anymore and we're so burned out as a country, it feels like rage needs to be the answer to rage. And in all of this, what begins to happen slowly at first, but we're well beyond the slowly at first part, we begin to lose our humanity in the midst of all this. We begin to lose who we are living in Trump's America. And, and I know um, in all of this completely blame Trump. There's plenty of things I would like to blame him with, but he's just a symptom of a larger problem that we have. Is he making things worse? Of course. Has been for day one. I pretty much think anyone that has had a personal relationship with Trump knows that Trump always makes things worse. For the other person. But this show is not about bashing Trump. This show is not about going after that today. <laughs> Who knows where we'll be at next week. No. Um, this week, I, I really want to do something a little different. Um, something a little more sobering and something just a little bit more raw. Um, coming from me. But before we get to that, one thing that we do here most weeks on our show is we hop into the Christian crazy, and and I started the Christian crazy as part of our show to really begin to point out how far off Christianity has become here in America, how how insane, how how non-Jesus-y, how non-intellectually the church has devolved into a bunch of angry holy rollers. People that feel that they are justified to hate. People feel that they are justified to do insane acts and atrocities because they feel like they are doing something to make America great again. And as I say, even those statements, I feel the bile coming up in my mouth. I will swallow it down and continue on with that. But um, this week's Christian Crazy will be a little less lighthearted than usual, but I'm really going to use it to kind of paint a picture into what we'll be talking about in the meat of this episode of really about the fact that we are so far off the path. We are so far off the reservation right now when it comes to Christianity in America, far gone, way far gone. And many, in many, (laughs) if I'm going to be honest, um, in, in speaking, I mean, many of this that I see happening within Christianity, some of it feels too far gone for me. But that's not what I want to get to. I, I want to be able to use this week's Christian crazy to really be able to point out some of the symptoms as we hop into the larger conversation we're going to have for this hour. So without further ado, and with a bit of solemnness as we step into this, don't worry, I'll get my pep in. When I need to get my pep in, I give you the Christian crazy of the week. Let's hop into this. Let's do it. Because it ain't going to be pretty. Claude Hammers, the Lord is my shepherd. He know what I want. All right. So as we start off the Christian crazy of the week, just going ahead right now 
and telling you guys the lifeboats are in the right and the left of you. You just need to follow the exits and leave now because we're not going to be quite as fun as we typically are with the Christian crazy. And I'm really doing this, as I'd said before, just to be able to continue to point out the insanity that we have brought ourselves into. So, without further ado, let's go ahead and talk about this. Ooh, ooh, who's up first? Well, Rick Wiles. Oh, you sexy little minx, Rick Wiles, who, uh, yeah, who urges people on his program, True News, T-R-U. <laughs> oh, so clever. What did a teenager tell you to spell that, Rick? Yes, so Rick, well, you know, I'm just going to let Rick talk and I'll do what I do and interrupt him as much as possible. But, you know, my whole point that we're kind of pushing ourselves off an ideological edge, I think Rick is going to do most of it for himself. But don't worry, there'll still be some snark. So, Rick, what do you think about all this right now? Please tell me. This, this Marxist, communist, anti-Christ revolution that is in full bloom in the United States of America. Folks, make no mistake about it. This thing is anti-Christian. Yes. They hate God. These people are against God. These people love to abort babies. They love to promote sexual immorality. They, everything that drives them is in opposition to God yes. and his moral laws. Ah, yes, Rick. For the people that are doing everything in their power to abort babies and give God the middle finger because that's really what gives people joy in life. Good, Rick. Yeah, good, Rick. Yeah, so wait, um, are we going to talk anything about how Jesus called us to love those that are not like us, love those that don't believe like us. We're going to quite get to that. Oh, no, we're not. Nothing about Jesus. Oh, is it going to get more bloody? Mm, yeah. Wow. It's so funny how end times Christians love to get obsessed with blood and death. You know, if I'm going to use a Christian word, it kind of sounds a little pagan. Oh, but Rick, I'm sure you're going to pull this out. You're going to pull it out in the ninth inning, aren't you? Aren't you? You're going to make it better. So, I will be made a fool here on the show. So let's go ahead and just prove me wrong that you're not obsessed with blood and killing and name calling. That is the centerpiece of their agenda. They see God as the problem. Yes, they see God as the problem. Listen to me. Actually, I don't think people are, are sitting around trying to see that God is the problem. I think that they're seeing is that assholes like you are the problem. I really think you're kind of missing the point here. I really kind of feel like you got a little, you got a little something on your face and we're trying to tell you it's there and you're just saying, oh, it's your problem. It's not my problem. Oh, Rick, but maybe, what else do you have to say, Rick? Come on, Rick, come on, Rick. Every nation that has been taken over by Marxist communists, they immediately kill the pastors. They immediately kill Christians. They immediately burn the churches. Oh, come on, Rick. Don't put on your pseudo-historian hat because we know you haven't really read books. Come on. Fear-mongering, is that your tactic? Oh, wait a second. Fear-mongering. That does work to get people riled up. Oh, my gosh. Telling them 
falsehoods about the way that things happen in history, even though they really didn't always happen that way, kind of messing with facts and details to prove your point. Eh, okay, Rick, I'll give that to you. It's effective. It's not really moral, or is it right, or is it sane? But, yeah. Why? Because the cross is their enemy. Do not be fooled by what's happening in America. The people, these anarchists in America, their enemy is not the Republican Party. Their enemy isn't corporations. Their enemy is the church. They're coming against the church. Yes. Yawn. Oh, we've gone into fake perceived persecution. That's another great tool to rile people up. Actually, in some circles, it's quite the aphrodisiac to give people a little spiritual chubby. Because persecution is sexy if you're a Christian. And if there's not any real persecution, well, gosh darn it, you go out there and be an ass and you make persecution happen right around you. That's how it works. So see what I'm talking about? Fear-mongering, name-calling, weird use of history in non-historical terms. Or wait, what do we call that? Oh, fantasy! Fantasy, that's what it is. There's a place for fantasy, Rick. It's just not in the way that you're talking about. So you seeing this, guys? Are you kind of seeing this thing going on here? I know, I know if you're a seasoned listener of the show, you kind of know how to spot this stuff, this stuff that's so obvious and right in your face. But before we get to the meat of what we want to talk about today, I want to do one more, just one more to kind of show you how weirdly divisive we've come, we've become. And if, I, if you notice, I'm only talking about the division on one side of the aisle because we'll get to the rest of it with the rest of the show. So, oh my gosh, for an encore appearance, guess who we have on the show today? None other than Pat Robertson, everybody's crazy old uncle that says crazy crap at holidays. Oh, Pat. It's almost Thanksgiving time, and I really, I need to listen to you more just to help me prepare myself for those folks in my life that are CBN-ish, as we'll call it. But yeah, Pat, Pat, how much you weigh in about the state of the world and what's going on right now? I think Pat's got some thoughts about, what is that? The caravan? Oh, this will be good. This caravan that's coming north has got about 7,000 people now. It's coming out of Honduras and Guatemala and now through Mexico, and it's going to be a public relations nightmare for our president if he doesn't get ahead of the thing. And what I'm saying is, so they're going to arrive. What do we want to greet them with? We want to have a bunch of soldiers beating them up on little children and women and, and, and peasants. Is that the kind of image we want to have in the world? It's going to be a nightmare unless we get ahead of it. Now, for those of you that may not be really up on uh, your biblical scripture and your theology and really knowing the depths of all that, what Pat is talking about here is the part of the Gospels where Jesus talks extensively about PR and how things look to the outside world. And I'm being horribly sarcastic right now because that doesn't really exist. I'm glad that, like, number numero uno on this Christian leader's mind right now is 
what are the optics of these poor people that are walking towards our border that are seeking a better life because they're escaping persecution? Hmm, do these sound like widows and orphans and those struggling amongst us? Hmm, what would Jesus say about that? Hmm, I don't know. Pat, do you think you'll give us something that's a Jesus answer? You know he won't, but we'll see where he's going with this because it's always good. And by good, I mean horrible and despicable and nasty and probably makes Jesus weep. My solution is very simple. The, the army knows how to take care of troops. 7,000 people is no big deal. It's a third of a division. And all they've got to do is have field kitchens out there to feed them and put up a bunch of tents. And then once they're in that situation where it seems humanitarian, then you begin to arrest them for breaking our laws and you take them selectively back to Honduras, back to El Salvador, back to Guatemala, wherever they came from. Actually, I'll give him credit. That's probably the most American Christian answer I would ever hear from someone. You do something that looks good for optics, but when the crowds are gone, you kind of just say, ah, screw it, we'll take you home. That's so Jesus-y, Pat. You're so on the nose. And I'm so being sarcastic here because that's pretty damn disgusting. And has nothing to do with Jesus. Any final thoughts, Pat? Anything that's not crack potty? Oh, you know you'll be crack potty. So just go ahead. Just go ahead. Let your freak flag fly, Pat. Let it go. But the other thing that I think we ought to do, and I think it's very important, the person who apparently has been financing this thing is George Soros. Now, we don't have hard evidence on that, but... So you don't have hard evidence on it or any evidence on it, but you know what? What the hell? We'll just go ahead and say this from our broadcast, our pulpit, and whatever else. Doesn't matter if it's true. It just matters if the people that are listening like it and they continue to turn in and continue to give us money. Oh, that's so American of you. So American of you. Oh, let me throw up in my mouth. But as I do that, we're going to transition to the main piece that we're going after today. So let's go. So as I said at the top of the hour, all of that, all of that snark, all of that veiled vitriol that is coming out of me, I say all of those things to really bring us to this major point. Essentially saying, <laughs> America, we're screwed up. America, we are screwed up, and we are in need of kind of one of those family chats. So let's go ahead and have a sit down here, and we'll see how long this takes us here on the show. But just wanting you to know, this is, <laughs> be kind, this is rather extemporaneous, and I'm just kind of flowing off of what I've been feeling and seeing and gestating down in my soul for the past little while. And here, 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 here it goes. Um, when, when I begin to kind of check the state of my soul about where I'm at in the world, um, when I begin to see how I am as, a, as an individual and how I am as a husband and how I am as a father and as a neighbor and as a friend and how I am as a citizen, um, if I'm really able to kind of just just sit down and kind of collectively take a check on where I'm at. I have essentially gone from being sick and tired of all this stuff to just plain being tired. I'm very, very just weary and tired from all of this. 
Because we are at a place right now where I begin to see just American Christianity in a very, very dangerous and broken place. Because when we're at a place where faith has to be experienced or imagined or exercised or lived out, and we live it out in a way that somehow ascribes ourselves to a certain political party, that's not really a faith at all. When Christianity becomes defined by its politics, it's not really Christianity anymore. I mean, it is in, in name alone, but in practice, in, in being something that, that, that has the essence of Jesus, it's none of those things anymore. And when we look around the world today, I know people will end up crying out saying, help us, Jesus, or work, Jesus, or be here, Jesus, or do this, Jesus. And the problem is, in all honesty, if, if I'm to be brutally honest right now, Jesus isn't going to rescue people from this. I, I, don't, I don't think, and again, I don't know this for a fact, but being a person who has made their way through seminaries, being a person who has given many, many sermons in their day. Honestly, I, I don't really know what any of this has to do with the faith that Jesus started anymore. So when we hear the churches crying out or saying that, oh, we're sending prayers and thoughts towards the victims of this and, and all of this stuff ad nauseum that we continue just to hear, I begin to say is that why are you praying when we as a society can go and fix things? Like, like, why ask God for help when you have the solutions in front of you? And when our faith becomes something where we're protecting a certain party and we're turning everybody else into the other and the enemy and all of that, it's just, just, just messed up. And I wanted, I wanted just to kind of read this. And this is something that came um, as a response to the shooting in, in Pittsburgh um, at the synagogue and the loss of lives that were happening there. And this is a quote that came from Russell Moore, who's the president of Ethics and Religious Liberty <laughs> Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. So again, Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, how does that even work with the Southern Baptist Convention? It all feels like they're oxymorons. But regardless, okay, just let's just run with it. Russell Moore, this is your moment to really speak to this. And he said, he said this, and, and it's one of those things that sounds good. Let me just read it. He said this, sadly, in a time when it seems that every week brings more bloodshed and terror in this country, we should not let the news cycle move on without sober reflection of what this attack means for us as Christians. Such is especially true as we look out to the world surging with a resurgence of blood and soil, ethno-nationalism, uh, much of it anti-Semitic in nature, he declares. Um, he says that as Christians, we should have a clear message of rejection of every kind of bigotry and hatred, but we should especially note what anti-Semitism means for the people who are followers of Jesus. And he's getting headlines for saying something like this because people, especially within the Christian world, are cheering him saying this. He's like, we should say clearly to anyone that would claim the name Christian the following truth. If you hate Jews, you hate Jesus. 
Well, Russell Moore, I I mean, I understand that you are part of the Southern Baptist Convention and having a soul and a heart, or actually, what, ethics? (laughs) Um, Don't seem to be your strong point. These are the kind of statements that sound very good, that we're out there telling Christians, hey, Christians, it's bad to hate. Don't do that. Oh, and by the way, if you hate Jews, that means you also hate Jesus. Great. But what happened to like the clear-cut message of Jesus that we are called to love our neighbor? Called to love our enemy. We're called to love those that aren't like us. And I know I've said this on the show a thousand, thousand times before, but that kind of message of Jesus says, if you're a conservative baker of cakes, you bake a cake for whoever asked you to, and you do it to the glory of God. You bake the best cake you can. And I love the fact that especially the religious right, even in statements like this from Moore, they end up standing up for the Jews, which they should. They should stand up against anyone that's doing this, but they stand up against the Jews because it ends up being a political thing. American Christians have fetishized Israel and the Jews to a degree where it becomes okay for them to stand up for one group but not speak out against other atrocities that are happening around our country. We have a president that's trying to be able to take away the rights of transgender people. We have African-Americans getting shot on a daily basis by police or just in Kroger grocery stores in Louisville. Where's the outrage for that? Where's the outrage for that? And I just love how, and I say this in all sarcasm, I love how Russell Moore very narrowly gets his like Twitter Twitter phrase out there, if you hate the Jews, you hate Jesus. If you hate anybody, you hate Jesus, is the message of the gospel. Russell Moore. If you oppress anybody and claim to follow Jesus, you hate Jesus. The statements from the churches should be so absolutely simple. So simple. Condemn violence. Jesus is not about that. We condemn hating. We condemn looking at people that aren't like us with suspicion because that's also a form of hate. I mean, folks like Russell Moore and 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 all of that. I've grown up around them. I've worked around people in my career like this. And honestly, man, I have I've had enough of the excuses or like the ethical gymnastics or the theological gymnastics that people try to pull. I'm, I'm sick of the conspiracy theories. I'm sick of making excuses for this stuff. I think we just have to call evil what's evil and call bad what's bad. But ultimately, this, this, this case that we've had <laughs> in the past few days of the intention of loss of life or the actual loss of life from both of these, from either threatening through bombs or people going and killing other people in our country. These are symptoms of a greater problem. And, and all of this, this hit me. It was, it was last week. And, um, I, I, I host, uh, in our town, I hope I host these open discussion groups that we do at, um, at, at a pub in town. And as we were, we were talking, talking through a bunch of different issues and what ends up typically happening is it's, 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 it's easy because I do this too. It's really easy to get pissed off at the people that you feel like are doing evil in the world. 
And as we were talking in the group, and I said something, and I said, no one's going to like me saying this, and nobody liked me saying this. Because um, uh, someone had brought recently up uh, just the atrocity that is Brett Kavanaugh and all that stuff, too. And, and I said that what had dawned on me over the, the, the past couple days was that I was like, if, if I'm going to be honest, that I think that we need to to embrace this world in love and compassion, that love and compassion and grace are the ways to fix this world. It really means I need to find a place in my heart to be able to love Tim, Ka uh, Tim, Ka Brett Kavanaugh, sorry, uh, Brett Kavanaugh. I know I say this, I used to know someone else <laughs> in the past that was Tim. So I apologize, Tim, for that. But, but I told them, I, I said that, I was like, I have to, I have to be able to, to walk away from this Brett Kavanaugh stuff and be able to, someplace in my heart, be able to see humanity and compassion and love for him. And I'd, Several people would be able to say, why did you name him? Name anybody even him. Why did you have to name that? And, and in many ways, for, for a lot of folks, that was a bridge too far. And, and honestly, in my own self, even saying it felt like a bridge too far coming out of my mouth. But, but all of these things are really, are really symptoms of, of a greater problem that we have and that we are in a place where we are living in a greater problem that politics will not fix. No. I know you're listening to a show called Snarky Faith, and I'm not going to use this to tell you that Jesus is the answer for everything. I'm not. I'm not going to go down that road because in many times, um, I've heard too many religious people just saying as well, in the wake of tragedy, really just the world needs Jesus. And honestly, that is a cop-out. It's an absolute cop-out. It's a place where we abdicate our roles so-called Christians in this world, we abdicate them and we hand them off to God because we say, oh God, this stuff's so bad. Uh, only you can fix it. Subtext, I don't want to fix this. Being able to step out and kind of walk like Jesus, it's too painful. End subtext. Um, with that, but, but the thing that just continues to dawn on me is that it's easy to blame Trump for these things. But in many ways, it's us. It's we the people that oftentimes are the problem. Another thought had dawned on me that maybe it's not Trump. Maybe it just is us. You know, maybe, maybe he's not the president that we wanted, but maybe he's the president we deserve. Maybe he's the one that has shown us in many ways, don't, worry, I'm not getting on the Trump train with this one, but I'm saying is in many ways he's shown us how flawed we are as a society, how flawed we are as a culture, how fragile we are. That in many ways in the years, you know, moving past the civil rights movement as it continues on into the future, a lot of times folks can pat ourselves on the back saying, look where we've come from. But we don't have time for that. We don't have time to pat ourselves on the back because that leads to complacency. It leads us to be able to sit in our hands and be able to say, look at the good we have done. But when you look at the news, when you look at the state of the world that we're in right now, it sure looks like we've got a lot more work to do. It sure looks like we don't deserve any pats on the backs. It sure looks like things still need to change. Progress still needs to move forward. And as I continue to listen to, and I do this, I do this for you, and I also kind of do this for my soul, also for my soul, I'll admit that, is uh, every day, I, um, one practice I have brought into my life, which I'm not sure if it's a healthy one or not, is that, is that I try to listen to voices on both sides. I try to read my news from both sides. Uh, when I'm in the car, uh, 
I will listen to conservative radio. Um, at first, I did it to make myself feel smarter, but now I'm beginning to see that we need to be able to understand where other people are coming from, even if we totally disagree with their worldview. And as I've listened to both sides over these past, feels like more than two years of, of the Trump administration, early, really just the Trump political cluster, whatever you want to call it, I've, I've kind of came up with a few things that, a few things that I, I think that we need to take to heart. And I'll start with this. I think we need to say just enough with the labels. Enough with the tribalism. Enough with the us and them. It happens on the left. It happens on the right. But we do. We like to tribalize ourselves. We like to be on the team, the cool team, the winning team, the smart team, God's team, the intellectual team. Whatever team you want to do, you want to be on the right side. I do. It feels good. But at the end of the day, me feeling good can end up doing damage to others. It can end up dividing us and polarizing us further. It can end up pushing us apart to where we are unable to see each other's common humanity. Or for me to use Christian speak when we can no longer see that God created us all in his image. We can't see that anymore. We can't see the image of God in other people. we probably can't see the image of God in ourselves. And it's moments like these that have, that have kind of brought me to this point. It's moments like these that have told me to, to kind of pause. So I will say enough with the labels. I think enough with the fear. On both sides, we just live in fear. And, we, and I begin to see that the left stokes the fear, the right stokes the fear. This is going away. This is going away. It's a tool that politicians use to rouse people. We don't need to be people that only see fear. Because what begins to happen in that is you begin to live in a place where you are living in hypervigilance. It's the state that you're constantly in, constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop, constantly waiting for someone to do something wrong, constantly waiting for someone to act out, constantly waiting for whatever. And it's not a healthy state to be in. It leads to burnout. And I feel like as, <laughs> as a country, we're, we're, we're well beyond burnout. And I need to say enough of the hate. Enough of the hate. Enough of the us and them. Enough of the keeping points, taking score, and playing politics like it's a game. It's a game where we, the people, are being raked over the coals by both sides with this. See, the problem is we end up just playing into their game with all of this. We match outrage for outrage. We react and we respond without always thinking. It's not only like bad chess that we're playing right now, it's really just bad for our hearts. And I begin to see that in how I talk with people. When I talk with people that I agree with, I talk with people that I don't agree with, I just begin to see this a hardening um, of all of our hearts. And that hardening doesn't lead to anything good. And I know, I know, I know we crave change. And I'll get to that. 
But the problem with this constant living in a constant state of outrage is that we end up looking just like those that we hate. We match hate for hate. We match paranoia for paranoia. We don't believe it when people speak anymore because we've been lied to so much. All of this is just pushing us closer and closer to an edge that I don't think any of us really want to be there. And I continue to hear these things where people are putting hope in a big blue wave or the other side of a red counter wave or whatever that looks like. But we've lost. We've lost our decency. We've lost our humanity in the midst of all this. And now what I'm not saying is that we're not supposed to go out and vote. But really what I'm trying to talk about here is how we live our day-to-day -day lives, how we interact with others. Because right now I feel like the rot that we hate that's happening in Washington, it's rotting us. And there's no easy answers for how to fix any of this. But I will tell you this, politicians aren't our hope. Sure, we want to go out and vote. Sure, we want to go do our civic duty to do that. But in day-to-day -day life, in making this hellscape that has become America, <laughs> in many ways, better, politicians aren't going to fix that. When we look to people like Trump to be able to stop the angry rhetoric, do you really expect a dog to stop barking? What he is. We put too much hope in politicians and not enough hope in the common man. See, I'm going to tell you this. Politicians, they, they cannot make this better or fix the world that we're in. Sure, they can do things to help us, and I think it's important that we engage in politics. But that's not the answer. That's not the end game. You see, change starts with us. It starts with us and who we are and who we are becoming. Now, I'm not giving you license to go out and to stir up your own social media preachiness. Because that's all just BS anyways. It's like the, the time that I, always, I hate this, even like watching like college football over the past week, watching a bunch of games. You see these teams that have no chance of probably ever being ranked. And what does everybody say? We're number one. And that's fine. That's fine for a football game. But really what they're doing, like, I want to just ask them, like, are you that stupid? Like, really? Like, you guys realize you're like one in six. We're number one? Really? Maybe one. Maybe they're just crying out for number one. Let's, we have one win. Maybe that's what the big foam fingers are for, but I'm pretty sure it's not. Because ultimately, the change begins... With me, it begins with you. Because change begins with how I respond, with how I think, with how I love, with how I choose not to love in certain situations too. And 
when we begin to look at these atrocities that have happened, when we begin to see this and like just wrapping your head around this, like that this could happen in my community where folks peacefully going to a synagogue to worship their God on a Saturday get killed. People going shopping in a grocery store get killed. Now, with all that I'm saying here, I'm not saying not to mourn. I think we need to mourn because I think the mourning is an important process that should lead us to be able to look out into the world and say that we need to stop this. But what ends up happening is we read the headlines. We don't really mourn over it. We just get angry. And we don't really feel the pain. We don't really own what went. We don't really own the loss. I'm not saying that we don't mourn. We need to mourn. But that mourning should should lead us to change. And I'm not saying to not go out and vote. Yes, we vote. Get off your ass and vote. But that's not all our responsibility. Our responsibility does not end in the voting booth. There's more for us. Go and vote. It doesn't take you long. But guess what? That's the bare minimum that you need to do. We must also be about being people of change. And I don't care if you're a Christian or a non-Christian. I'm speaking in this way to just people. Because if you've listened to the show enough, you've heard me get pretty fed up uh, with Christianity. So I think we have a human problem going on right now. And I'm not saying that we don't speak out or that we don't feel outrage. But we cannot stay there. We cannot stay in a constant state of outrage. Because while outrage can move us to act, it doesn't move us always to think. We have to realize that this rage is not us. It may be something that has been present with us for a while, but it is not us, and we must be better. And for me, I'm not here to offer you all the answers. I don't have all the answers myself. But I do know this. I do know that I need to begin to choose when and when not to speak. Or when to act and when not to act. Because I've noticed in my own soul and within my own self, I've become way too reactionary for these things. I get pushed around by the wind and the waves, and I respond in ways that aren't always the core of who I am. Change is who we are supposed to be. We're supposed to be change agents. That's, that's, that's how society gets better. That's how progress happens. If you believe in the words and the ways of Jesus, Jesus calls us to change and to consistently being changed to change the world around us. See, it doesn't work. You don't just get to vote to fix the world. You have to go out and change it. Change only happens when it comes at a cost to you. Because if change happens and you really don't have much of a hand in it, if it had no cost for you, it's not really change. It's not your change. It's someone else's change. But I've just come to this place where I've just begun to realize that I can't put my hope 
for change in the hands of other people anymore. That is an inert type of hope. It's one where I'm abdicating my job and my role. And one of my large fears, I'll get in trouble for saying this, is that most Christians use prayer instead of acting. Now, I'm not saying that people shouldn't pray, but I am saying you should ask yourself before you pray, am I praying about something that I can actually fix that's in front of me? Or am I using God like a, some sort of a big genie to fix it for me? If I've learned anything in my life is that although God can be very confusing and I'm not always sure what's happening <laughs> when it comes to God, if the answers are in front of us, we're called to go out and make a difference. We're called to be those answers. The idea of sitting back and praying for someone else to do it, that's not actually what prayer is about. Because change happens when we begin to interact with our neighbors. Change happens when we begin to watch how we interact with people in traffic. People we don't like. People we disagree with. People that make us utterly sick. Change happens when we begin to choose how to consistently be the better person. Because I've seen this. Rage begets rage. Anger begets anger. Hate begets hate. And all it does is just divides us anymore. And I will say this, and I will say this again in the show as many times as I can. I'm not telling you not to get your ass out and vote. Get your ass out and vote. <laughs> but the real change happens in your day-to-day -day life and how you interact with others. Are you bringing positivity into the world? Are you bringing goodness into the world? Are you bringing justice into the world? Are you bringing the change that the world around us needs? My fear in all of this is that we lose our humanity, that we lose our decency as a people. And we can't afford to lose love and grace and compassion. We can't. And in many ways, I know um, you may be listening to this show, and you may not be a person that is a person of faith at all. And I, I thank you for being a part of this. Um, this isn't a normal show that we do, and our show in general is not a normal show that <laughs> most of the people that we roast at the beginning of the hour would ever listen to. And if they do, they probably hate listening to it. So if you're hate listening to it, hey! No, but I feel like this is a time where those, the words and the ways of Jesus speak to everybody, whether you believe in him or not. Because I think the way to change the times that we're in are for us to be brave, for us to be brave enough to be selfless. And that is a hard thing to do. We must put others before ourselves. We must not fight hate with hate. We must acknowledge our own role in this. 
because I know many of you would be sitting out there, oh, but it's easy to point the finger at all these horrible SOBs out there. Yeah. Yeah. But we're part of the system that put them there. We have to be able to acknowledge our own role in this capitalistic system of inequality where some get more and most get less. And we're part of it. We feed into it. See, the change, real change, has to cost something of ourselves. It's a great risk to love when we expect nothing in return. There's a risk to love when we see a better future out and we devote our lives to helping others see that too. There's a risk and the audacity of love that tells us to go and do good even though it may and probably won't ever benefit us directly. I know people like to throw around, I've heard politicians throw around blanket statements they are like, I'm concerned about the way the world is and I want to leave the world a better place for my children. What that typically means is I need to have enough money in the bank to be able to make sure my kids continue to be as wealthy as I am. But if we honestly want to live this world in a better place for our children, uh, hey, adults out there in the world, we're doing a really crappy job of it right now. And if there are any adults in the room still, the course that we're on leads to nothing good. One side may win and we'll all cheer while the other side goes back and strategizes how to do better next time. And we just keep this dance going. I'll say this for probably the fifth time on the show. Get your ass out and vote. But guess what? Come home and live better. Be better. Because we can't expect our president to ever do the right thing. We can't even expect him to spell correctly. So just voting him out and expecting that's going to be the magic bolt that's going to fix everything, let me tell you something, folks, it's not. We've become so divided that we can't even hear one another anymore. We're so divided we can't even have a conversation or a dialogue anymore. We don't work together anymore. It's all about winning and losing. And when it's all about winning and losing, we all lose. We may get a win here and there, but by and large, we all lose. The planet loses. Our children's, our children's lose. Our children lose. <laughs> we all lose. So my call, as we are going out to the ballot boxes um, in this next week, is to go do your duty, but to realize that that duty is the bare minimum that you have as an American citizen. And for those of you that don't go out and vote, honestly, I kind of just feel like you have no right to complain about the way the world is then. Because that's the voting's the bare minimum that we can do. It really costs very little of us to go and do that. So turn out, vote, and do your civic responsibility. But don't let it end there. Just remember that most of our life, I mean, think about this, really, really think about this. We vote once, maybe twice a year on different things. 
spending collectively maybe 30 minutes. If we're including driving time and wait time, maybe an hour. If your district is different, maybe you wait for a couple of hours. I don't know. But collectively, the 365 days of the year, that's a very small price you pay to be able to do the bare minimum that you should be doing. And I'm not here to lecture you because I'm actually doing this to lecture myself. <laughs> uh, this has been out of my own personal reflection, just being able to see where those hard places in my heart have come and I don't like them. If you're pissed at what's going on in the world today, if you're pissed that innocent people are dying, if you're pissed every time our president opens his mouth and says something horrible, if you're pissed, don't take that anger on but change it and fuel it into doing something better. Reach out to someone. Help someone that you see in need. Because that is the only way that we get better on a one-on-one-on-one -on -one human basis. Government isn't the answer. Government can fix things. But the state of where we're at right now, with us seeing how much hate and vitriol and bigotry and misogyny lives in this country. In a weird way, I'm going to tell you that Trump was an odd gift to be able to show us of how far we still need to go. And yes, that's probably the last time I'll ever use the word Trump and gift in a way. But this should be a wake-up call to us that we the people aren't doing enough. We the people have become complacent. We the people have become selfish. We the people don't really care about our neighbors or our communities or our country. We only care about ourselves. And that is the state of where it's gotten us. We have a narcissist in chief. And I know you don't want to hear that, but I also feel like we've become a fairly narcissistic country. And I see that erosion in my heart, and I don't want to see that erosion in yours. So as you continue to look forward and look out into this week, keep your eyes open for how you can be a difference, how you can be a change, and how you can make things better for others. Because that's really the only way this is going to get back to where we need it to be where civility happens, where conversations and dialogue happen. It's possible, but an election's not going to fix that. The real work is in how we look at and care for and love those that live around us who are like us and aren't like us. Because if I'm going to go back to, as I started off at the beginning of the hour, uh, <laughs> chastising Christians, for Christians out there, if you believe in Jesus, your job is to love and to be compassionate and really to shut up and just do those first things I said. I need to get better at that too. And for the rest of us that may not follow any kind of a faith plan, we all need to be better. We can do better. So as I end this broadcast, I just want to remind you guys, you can catch us and this past show, <laughs> this show and all past shows on, on podcast. Thanks for being a part of this little family kind of chat, this family meeting um, this week. And I appreciate you guys and for how folks respond and reach out and comment and talk about um, the work we're trying to do here at Snarky Faith. So thank you. Thank you for your time. 
Thank you for your ear. And my hope moving out into this week is that we can all do better and that we can all be better. So I send you out and do this week with the holiest amount of grace and snark and peace. I'm out of here. I'll catch you guys again next week. WCOM is listener-supported community radio, and Snarky Faith is only possible through our sponsors. Lumen, a spiritual community of seekers, sojourners, question-askers, doubters, and skeptics, is a collective of fellow travelers that embrace the truth that all of life is sacred, hope is real, and tomorrow can be a better day than today. All are welcome. You can find more information at www.lumencommunities.com.